0: Mayday. This is a call to all you educators out there. It's time to shift our schools. Good evening, everybody. This is uh, Jeff Udick, and this is Shifting Our Schools podcast episode... Are we on 9 or 10? 10? 9. It says says episode 10, but we're on episode 9. We're an episode behind. Yeah, it does, but we missed an episode in there somewhere anyway. All right. Okay. Well, tonight we're coming to you live or you'll be listening to the podcast afterwards. Uh, but we're coming to you live from Shanghai, China. I'm Jeff Udick at TheThinkingStick.com. And joining me tonight, we have David Carpenter, as usual, at org, And Michael Lambert from Concordia International School, whose long blog address I will put in the chat room. <laughs> so everybody can see it and it'll be in our show notes. Uh, it'll be in our show notes. Let me copy and paste this in real quick so people can, they can see if they can go and do that. People okay. in the chat room are so good about this stuff. So they can see if they can go and see if that's public for you and everything. All right. Well, tonight, we base every show on an essential question. Tonight's essential question is how to go deeper in learning and why do we need to go deep? And let me just say, before we get started, I've spent the last two hours going through iTunes and subscribing to a bunch of new podcasts. And I have come to the realization that if you are a teacher, any classroom teacher, using any subject, and you are not using podcasts in your classroom to do a million different things, you are missing a huge opportunity to augment your curriculum. I mean, it was... I got lost in iTunes podcast. I cannot believe the wealth of information that is there and free. It was, it's just, I don't, it's incredible. It's incredible. And when we're talking, I mean, I thought about this tonight as I was getting ready for the shows, you know, how, how to go deeper in learning and iTunes is just, I can't even explain it. You can do, so much on so many different topics, and especially if you 're doing anything social studies wise or political wise i 'll tell you there 's enough podcasts there that you don 't need a curriculum. you know you can just have kids listen to podcasts and discuss the outcomes of all that stuff anyway that 's what i 'm going to start david i 'm going to throw it to you why don 't you go get us started and how are things over on the island tonight
1: Yes, yeah, so over here in Formosa taiwan things are are very fine. We had a all school trip field trip to the zoo today and we had it was led by three uh, 11th grade students and everyone had questions to answer about uh, animals and whether animals have emotions and should animals should we have zoos in the first place it was very thought-provoking and a neat community event and uh, that's a good segue in just a moment to introduce michael who does so much to support community wherever he goes both in and out of the Classroom and, uh, just mentioning the iTunes podcast f- for folks, you know, we, sh- we should do a whole show on this. One that, uh, at my previous school we started to use was Chinese pod for, especially here in Asia where there's a real push for learning Mandarin. And what they've done recently at Chinese pod is you, you have to pay for it. It's a small fee. But be- besides listening to the very clear lessons step by step and moving you on the, Continuum of learning Mandarin now they have transcripts in English, so what our um, Chinese teacher Mandarin teacher is going to do here at Sinshu is go ahead and subscribe and the kids are, she's already has the kids listening, but now she's going to have transcript that she can give to the kids so they can have that that visual be looking at at the words and at the same time. Uh, listening, so engaging different parts of their brains. And I know that's something Michael's gonna talk about a lot as well. Brain-based learning. Let me, well, let me interrupt let you right us, there,
0: yeah. real quick. Yeah. Because you need to bring your Chinese teachers to the Learning 2.08 conference because Ken oh. the founder of Chinese Pod is going to be one of our sponsors and he's going to help us oh. podcast every single session. I know him, Ken Carroll oh. from Chinese Pod uh helped us out last year doing a lot of recording and is eager to come back this year and help out and he'll be around the conference to answer any questions about podcasting and I think we need to get teachers like that here to connect with him to say yes. how they're using it and ways to improve it. So just a little plug there and go ahead
1: Excellent heads up. Well, Ircos is doing a Mandarin conference here in Taiwan this coming weekend, so I'll, I'll have to mention that for the future to get Ken involved. Excellent idea. Um, there's so many ways that we can go into how to go deeper in learning with our students. And I was just going to mention one idea that ties into the theme we, we talk about, curriculum development, and if you're using, if you're a UBD school and you're starting off with, uh, standards and benchmarks that you design or you adopt and then, and then, uh, adapt to make them concept-based, big idea benchmarks, uh, and then you connect to your essential understandings and essential questions that are really good ones, really cross-discipline questions that are often not so clearly answerable, um, you are in a are in a good position to then work backwards with your um, looking at your assessments and your instruction to it forces you to come up with shifted ways to teach that are going to make the kids the center of the learning where they're going to have to process the information and really engage their brains. Um, one person that if you wanted to follow up more on concept-based standards and benchmarks is H. Lynn Erickson who is a consultant uh, on curriculum and design. And one of the things that I picked up from Michael from working with him uh, in years past, we know we're getting that deep learning when you can almost feel the brain pops coming out of your kids, that they're, that, that they're percolating and they're thinking and they're pausing, and then they're coming up with new ideas. They're just not moving information around. Uh, and, and so if you're if you're a school that wants to move forward in deeper learning, start with those standards and benchmarks, move away from the knowledge, the knowledge and the comprehension level in Bloom's taxonomy, move up the line and make them concept based. Um, so let's let's move uh, and let uh, have Michael come on in here and share some of his ideas. Fortunately, uh, my eldest son was Mike's one of Mike's students for two years, and we saw the benefits daily of his work with Mike, who was continually pushing our son Sam to make connections, uh, to ask questions, to always go deeper, just don't accept what's in front of you, uh, and, and reflection was such a big part of his classroom, and we're talking third and fourth graders, and so my son now who's in the middle school, it's just natural, it's a habit of mind for him to, to be a, he's a pretty deep thinker and I owe a lot of that, to, uh, thanks to Michael. So Michael, uh, yes. welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. And enough talking from, from us and let's, let's hear what you could share with us about ways that you are helping your students, uh, reach deeper in their learning in your classroom. <clears throat>
2: Okay, well, uh, tonight I've listed about five different, uh, components that I think perhaps could, we could go deeper. Uh, the first one I'll have here is called one-to-one laptop, and I will, uh, push Apple a little bit, not trying to do a commercial. But I think with the, with the one-to-one that it gives kids, uh, the information that they need at their fingertips, just like we are today with our Blackberries and our other mobile devices. And it also allows kids to sort of be the facilitator, in other words, not the facilitator, but more the director. And so we it allows us as a teacher to sort of say okay let's look for this or let's look for this and then we can really differentiate that learning. We give muscle to that word differentiation. So the laptop uh, it gives kids uh, their own ownership and it gives them the ability to sort of direct uh, be that self-directed learner that self-motivated learner. So I would really push that as a, a number one tool. Uh, and. Another thing is that the computer allows kids to pause and rewind and repeat. And often in a class setting, we're not able to do that. And so the student has that ability to figure out which components or which pieces he or she wants to go back and revisit. Uh, the second component, if I think, uh, for deeper learning, our second uh, element is project-based learning. And some people refer to it as problem-based learning. Uh, I can give you some examples of that. It's trying to create uh, the whole instead of looking at life in slices, uh, social studies, math, and that kind of thing. It's just not in a slice component. We don't go outside today and say, oh, I'm going to just do math, or, oh, I'm going to look at uh, geography, or I'm going to just look at science today. We went to the specialized bookstore, or uh, not, bike store here in, in Shanghai, and the students had to uh, do a what they call a box and whiskers graph. So they went around and took all the data, uh talked to the folks learned about the carbon and uh titanium and how all that was designed and put together as a result of that visit we returned back to the classroom they did some uh graphs and that kind of thing and then we learned at uh from the folks that they had a couple people who were actual uh bike uh trick bike people and so we invited them to the classroom the kids did that they followed up the contact uh, came out, did their trick bikes, uh, a couple of kids, uh, filmed them and put together a remarkable video. And then on top of that, we interviewed them and then the kids, uh, in the classroom had to write about, uh, their visit. So I was able to pull in the, uh, writing component. Another example of project based learning, we went to a landfill in Shanghai. And where they have like sixteen thousand tons a day that's uh empty there and learned about uh alternative fuels about methane gas, and so it's going outside and getting that uh experience. another one was simulation uh that we do in the classroom as well.
0: what do you uh, teach michael
2: uh grade seven
0: grade seven
2: uh, yes uh teach uh all subjects it's sort of a what you call a pro- project based learning classroom where we're where uh it's sort of a pioneer. Um, uh, idea in terms of taking all the subjects and pulling it all together. Uh, so we're trying to help kids make the connection. We often say math and science connect, but I rarely have I ever seen anyone put the two together and really uh, morph them together. They still are taught very separately. One of the reasons is people still follow the math textbook, and uh, they think that's the curriculum uh a third piece would be visuals i think visuals often tell the stories the documentaries the portrait illustrations uh as we know oftentimes a visual evokes that emotion and through that emotion that drives uh attention and through that attention it drives uh, uh a learning and uh we use uh a number of visuals in a lot of things that we do for one thing uh, a lot of day today we have graphs, and graphs are a great way of teaching a lot of the information that we're trying to get across. And so the kids are learning how to run through all this information and put it in a form that they understand, and what, and so it has meaning for them. Today the visual world: yes. we sit behind a taxi, and there's the visual. We stand at the lift, and there's the visual. We go downtown, and there's the big screen with the visual so it's trying to teach them a new way of looking at this media literacy. Uh the next component would be number 4 and I have for that is more experience experiences. In other words, multi-sensory kind of approach. Uh where kids are able to go outside the four class of the four walls of the classroom and uh, engage in the community itself and participate in some of these other field trips that I just mentioned. We've gone to the Shanghai Daily newspaper, and the kids were able to uh, sort of see how the newspaper worked. Uh, taking uh, trips like, for example, going to Beijing or Nanjing. The kids just went to Nanjing to a museum there and learned about the Nanjing Massacre. So it's going outside these walls, because as we know within the four walls, I mean, that, that's, that's the least amount of experience they'll ever have. Uh, so they have mm-hmm. to go out and make deeper connections. And in order to make deeper connections, students need those experiences. And sometimes those experiences mean falling down. And if we, if we, as we all know, that those uh, are some of our greatest le- lessons in life. Uh, the fifth mm-hmm. point, I think, for us as teachers is, I would say, is to let go. And what I mean by that mm-hmm. is that I think too often we want to hold on to the curriculum we want to hold on to this textbook or we want to hold on to our own passions of what we think is important and we're not allowing kids to be the drivers whereas we're more of the uh person that just sort of helps them develop and and we're the cheerleader we're the co- we're truly the coach and uh mm-hmm. helping them uh there, there's so many th- Tools on the computer that we have no understanding of, but we think we have to know first before they can engage, and that's just BS. Let the kids <laughs> let the kids drive that, and amen, we, brother. And we can learn <laughs> from them. We don't have to be sort of uh, taking a workshop so I know how to do PowerPoint or an iMovie or some other kind of uh, gadget that you guys put together that are are uh, very intriguing. I mean, for example, the other day, I think what was interesting, Jeff, you had put together the uh sign-up sheet for learning 2.008. And when you click on there, there's this little woman that comes up in the right-hand corner. And uh the kids were very intrigued by that. I says, "Oh, I have a little woman in my computer." <laughs> they were just very fascinated with that and how that works and and then it drives other things. For example, then they're learning how to do algorithms. Uh, and how can you be, get on the number one chart in Google? And trying to understand that. And how come some things are and some things aren't. So it's just to go back to those five components. It's just one-to-one laptop, project-based learning, visuals, experiences, and the bottom one is, the last one is letting go.
0: Michael, can you maybe just talk about one-to-one computing a little bit and you know, uh in your school, what does that look like in your school? What kind of computers do they have? How do you how do you manage that as a teacher and how do you use that to your advantage?
2: Okay. Uh the students uh come to class and we'll often say, you know, throw out a question or something, Uh, let's just give you an example for today. We were doing ratios and proportions. So I had about four or five kids that were finding some ratios and proportions. For example, the number of searches with Yahoo versus Google, uh, maybe the relationship of boys versus girls in the world, and they found uh, a number of uh, other kind of things that were related to that. And then you might have three or four more kids working on something else. related to the computer. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is that, that it, it allows a lot of flexibility. And one, has, as a teacher, we need to really rethink and redesign our instruction with that. And what I mean, it's no longer the group. It's how I can think differently, what questions I can uh, put out there for kids to engage. And then letting them come up with some questions and driving that. At the end of every lesson, we have an inquiry. So whenever they finish a lab or finish a report or finish some kind of writing, they push it to the next question. And so they're looking mm-hmm. for that. And then that sort of accelerates their interest in, in wanting to use the computers. But, I mean, um, there are some complications with it. And, and as as anything, you just sort of have to figure out what those are and how to work around that.
0: Mm-hmm. is that part of do you think that's that's a skill that teachers in the twenty first century need to have we talk you know i've talked to a lot of teachers who say i don't want, i don't want to use technology because I feel like I always have to have a backup plan in case technology doesn't work mm. do you Do you feel that way as somebody in a one to one who it does rely quite a bit on technology or is it one of those things where have you found that kids are understanding that you know, we might have to adjust as we go, and we're going to have to kind of play it by ear type thing. Mm.
2: I think some, what, what happens is, is that we often use the tools outside the classroom. We let kids use them outside the classroom. And teachers use them as well a lot themselves. For example, email and Skype and uh, searching and, and uh, making their own videos or putting together different kind of presentations on PowerPoint and so we we you know a number of folks have become uh have relied on this on this technology but i think sometimes that the thing that ha- hasn't happened yet is for teachers to let go of that and let, let use these same kind of tools that they use on the outside and bring that into the classroom for example bringing in the ipod and what can you do with that component uh... you talked about itunes and you know people go home and use itunes and there's so many great podcasts that are out there uh... another thing would be to uh... look at uh, skype we use skype a lot in our classroom in fact i have kids you know they go in and they'll skype their parents because a lot of times their parents are away and they never get to see them in fact i got a one couple of great stories about kids using skype and they were working on their English piece, and then they sent it to their parents, and their parents gave them a little bit of information, and this a grade seven student wrote back to their mom and said, "Thank you," which she had never you know really heard you know with her helping with with this homework. And that all happened in like three minutes or less. So it's trying to figure out how we can use it differently, and if it does break down. I think there's enough questions out there that we can propose and have enough projects within our classroom that where we go out to the community and you don't need that component of technology.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, let me ask you one of the th- things on the inquiry side. I remember seeing with Sam. Um. Uh
0: oh. We might have just lost him.
2: Okay.
1: So, go off did you lose me?
0: Yeah, we lost you.
2: Okay, you're back. You're back now.
1: All right, I'm back. Yeah, Mike, That back to um, when you were teaching grades three and four, and with Sam, um, I, I remember him coming in and saying, Dad, I'm working on this project. And I remember one specifically learning about the effects of air pollution, uh, potentially to uh, asthma. And, and for him, it was that real-world experience looking out the window in Hong Kong. How did you... How did you handle kids in class coming up with, you know, I'm really angry about that. Why do they do that? And I know you built on their passions a lot. What you might tell teachers um, how to go to the next step with students who are emotional about a current event, because I know you used to do current events as well, or they have a question about something that's happened. How do you go to the next step where the child is in charge of pursuing that question? What do you do?
2: Uh, one of the things is, is, I think sometimes, you know, it's not to let, hopefully people don't misunderstand it. It's like a free-for-all. There does need mm-hmm. to be some structure and there does to need to be the scaffolding. And that's our responsibility as the teacher. In other words, making sure that they have good writing skills and know how to put together a great introduction and how to, uh, make a great presentation and how to pull those, uh, skills that are important in everyday life. But in order in other words, take it to the next level is you know let them find their passion and once they find their passion, help them design a question that's of interest to them and once they design that question and then they go through a process of trying to answering it and come up with some kind of reasonable solution or reasonable answer to it, then helping them develop that sense of inquiry again to say, okay, what's the next question after this? When you went through this process, Mm -hmm. now what do you want to know? Because every time Mm -hmm. we go through something, we always find that there's something else we want to know, just like in technology. We learn a particular program, but each time we go through it, we go, wow, now I wonder about this particular program, or what can I add to it, or what can I learn differently here? Now I can do this, how can I do this? So it's helping kids to sort of see... That learning that how to be a learner, and, that, and that's part of the whole processes that we're trying to teach is teach them how to be a learner. Mm-hmm.
0: So where does your curriculum fit in all this? I mean, I I love what you're saying. You know, mm. where it, mm. it allows you to go deeper, and the kids, you know, every answer comes with a new a new set of <laughs> questions, and we allow kids to explore. And I, right. think that's, I I love it, and it's fantastic. How where does your curriculum fit in that? How do you make what you are quote-unquote supposed to
2: teach in school
0: okay. fit into this inquiry-based learning.
2: Okay. Uh, let me give an example. We were talking about governments, and we were talking about the different types of governments uh, recently in social studies, and then that was part of the, quote, structured curriculum. And then, in addition to that, we were talking about in science viruses and then bacteria, and that was the, quote, uh, chapter in the science book. So I think it's a, for, it's a responsibility to, for us is to figure out what those connections are and how to help yeah. make those connections for kids. And because if we can't make them, then how are we going to get the kids to make them? And so the yeah. example I'll use here is that uh, you know you, you sort of work off your own personal sometimes. And in this case, it was with SARS. And we lived in Hong Kong at the time. So we were trying to say to the kids, here is this virus, and here were these, uh, this uh, particular virus. Now look at what the government had to do in terms of its policy and make these shifts. Now where else have you seen that? What are some other new diseases that have come al- come alive? And then they were quickly able to identify with the H5V1. I can't remember the exact name. And then they began to dive into the bubonic plague because that's a you know, high interest to kids. And then they started looking at uh, some of the new things that were going up into space recently. They took uh, salmonella, and they took it to space, and when then when they brought it back, they noticed that it had a greater strength. So we have to sort of stay current, recurrent events ourselves, and then looking mm-hmm. at that and helping uh, make those connections. As a teacher, we're just too often so narrow with our own content with our own structure and we're not able to sort of move outside that and if we can't as a teacher move outside that then kids are not going to move
1: outside that
2: so i mean i guess that's what i, I mean I, I would sort of aim at that direction hmm.
1: well it sounds like structurally you are building in time in your week ready just to say that time is, is ready in case the question does come up or we have four different questions so we'll we'll You'll help four different groups refine that question and begin the research process. But it also sounds like as we always talk about the teachable moment, and you're not going to let uh, certain constraints get in your way that you have to get certain things covered that week. It sounds like you clearly are saying, I'm going to go deep when the time comes up, and maybe if, if we're not going to get to some of the things on the, uh, that are in the curriculum, we can't always get there when that opportunity comes up. But specifically, do you set aside time in the week that you just say, you know what, I'm going to leave some buffer in the week for us to go where the kids are going to take us? Is that part of your your classroom? Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: I, I guess to, maybe, the answer to that is I guess there's a yes and no, and I don't mean to waffle. I mean, I know that mm-hmm. I have to stay within the constraints of what the curriculum is, but I also feel like there's, sometimes there are certain events that are highly important. I guess one that I would name now is that we're working on is called Earth Day. And this is a Mm -hmm. critical one. If we look at the world today, we need to be educating students about alternative energies and how to be, uh, what, what really is a consumer doing to the world? Because we just cannot live in, this is, we're called, it's called living in unsustainable times today. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll, I'll divert to that, but at the same time, if I divert to Earth Day, I know that there's many ways that I can pull in other concepts that are or standards or benchmarks that need to be taught, and I can throw that in through in in that direction. So uh, I look at you know it's that it's that the skills that we want, and the skills if we look at the classified ads today, and the classified ads they're not looking for folks who can uh, uh, have a have a high IQ or have a, a high test scores or have high SAT. They're looking for the portfolio. And that portfolio is show me what you can do, and that comes mm-hmm. in the form of you know show me how you're creative, show me the evidence, show me how you're a team player, show me how you are initiate uh, initi- show initiative, show me where you, uh, where you where's, where's perseverance. I mean these are skills that are just not taught. You can't teach mm-hmm. that, and you only can experience that. And, you know, integrity. You can't go get a short course in integrity. So whenever these situations come up, I keep going back to those classified ads and saying, what are the skills that people are looking for today? Everyone's always wondering, well, you know, it's the real world. You know, it's reality, and they want to refer to the reality as about the test score. Well, the reality is the CEOs and the people that are doing the hiring, they're not looking for those uh, components of a grade today. They're looking for something much, another deeper learning, and that deeper learning is those skills that I just mentioned uh, previously.
0: All right, let me jump in here real quick. We've got some questions brewing in the chat room, and I don't know if you guys could see the chat room because we had problems before I tried to set up a thing, but uh, I just want to pull this in because this is quite interesting. Uh, in, are you streamer 99527, who really loves their number, by the way? uh says if teachers work towards being lifelong learners then they won't be able to avoid moving outside the curriculum Mm. and karen comes back and says isn't modeling lifelong learning part of the teaching curriculum which i think is interesting because i don't know if it is part of the teaching curriculum and what i want to know from you michael and even uh you david is how how are you a learner do your students know that you're a lifelong learner? I mean, are you modeling that? And where do you learn from today? Michael, why don't you go first, David, then, you, then after him?
2: Mm. Uh, it was interesting. I talked to my kids the other day. We were getting ready to do portfolios, and we were asking, you know, talking about getting ready and what we need to do. And so I said, okay, now tell me some things that maybe you, as you reflect on the year, what are some things that you noticed about our classroom? And one of the students says, well, Mr. Lambert, one thing you always say, well, that's a new learning for me today. So I model that through w- what I'm saying. And In other words, I've got two or three kids in my classroom who are just highly gifted students who know how to operate the iMovie and who know how to uh, find different photos for different kinds of images or how to use different uh, software that I have no concept of, and I just say, "Go see J. or go see uh, Belinda. She knows how to do that." And those are your resources. So it's always trying to keep that in your mind, saying, "I don't know. Go ask so and so." And so I model that with the kids.
1: Great, David. Well, that, that's a big yeah. Let me. It's fine. I'll start with that. I don't know. Um, I I do know in answering your question, but. Right now we're doing, uh, Af- studying about different African nations and, uh, where Africa is today and where Africa is going. And the students are doing a, a, a web quest. They're divided into different nations that they're covering and following the normal format of a web quest in different roles. But as I sit down, uh, every, like every ten minutes is I have meetings with the different groups, I'll say, what questions do you have? And, and then they'll say, well, what do you think the answer is? And and in many cases, I don't have the answer. So they're very used to me saying, I don't know. And that's about content. But i say, I know where to go. And that's the whole point when we talk about this going deeper with learning is we know where to get the information. But I said, I can see some connections here. What do you think? And then I put the questions back to them and and help them make the connections. And one of the things that that I do in my class, much like Michael uh, does in his, I'm sure, there in Concordia like he did in Hong Kong, is I do current events every day. And a a great podcast my wife, Margaret, the librarian, shared with me is uh, CNN Student News. It's about 10 minutes. It's video. And that's one of the ways that um, the kids in my class, they'll watch that the night before. And come in, and when we talk current events, I'm showing that I'm a, I'm a learner with them because I'm, I'm in tune with a lot of what they're talking about. And with all of our kids blogging, much like Mike, I know you have your kids and Jeff, the work you've done at Shanghai, they can read my blogs, some, one of them school based and one is outside of school. Um, and then back to the iTunes, with their blogs, I've really pushed the kids to bring up new, uh, Podcast and to write about them, ones that they've found they're interested in, and I do the same. I go, here's a podcast that I found about what's happening uh, in Tibet and in the in the carryover to the to the Olympics and how the world's reacting. So, I th- the um, the commenter in the um, chat room really had a great point that it's like uh, Bandura says, so much of our teaching is is modeling. And if we really are showing that we're learning and we're asking questions and we're willing to take risk, boy, we're doing a, we're doing a pretty good job, I think, with our kids.
0: Do you assign watching those podcasts, or do kids go out and do that themselves?
1: It's it, I assign them to come into class with at least two current events that they want to talk about. And recently, we've had the election here, so I've really been pushing the kids to learn more about their government and. Uh, what's been happening between Taiwan and China. And now it's been kind of open, but now I'm going the next step, and I'm saying this week I want you to find a podcast about um, uh, what's happening in American, the American elections, and I want you to explain what is the podcast you listen to, and then tell me what you think about what that person has to say. And then we get into some information literacy things like whether there's biased, What's their background? Things like that, and it's it's a slow process. But what what is one of our ultimate goals is to help these young people become citizens, and boy, more than ever, we we need to develop citizens who are engaged, just not in their local politics, but world politics, and then the health of our world, as Michael was pointing out. Yeah, and just what about I mean, what about you, Jeff? Well, what are you know, some ways?
0: That- it's funny because I don't have a classroom. You know, I'm I'm at a I'm a, at a school level and so, but i I understand that the kids know more than me, and I know they're a place to learn from, so I use the morning announcements in the high school, and mm. one, usually once a week, maybe not well again not not quite once a week, whenever I need to learn something that I know kids know about, I put it in the morning announcements, like you know the last one was. Uh, Mr. Udick brought his Linux uh, computer to school and can't figure out how to install this file to get his audio card so that he can turn down and turn up the music uh, turn down and turn up the volume mm. and right now it's blaring at full speed if anybody knows how to hack that please stop by and see Mr. Yudic <laughs> mm. and or right. it's Mr. Yudic needs an intro for a podcast or Mr. Yudic can't figure out how to do this somebody stop by and help him out and mm. it's funny because when I'm walking down the halls I'll have kids stop me, but that's, you know, to, to me, that's modeling that, you know, I know you all out there have a skill or I don't have a classroom, but I can still engage with the kids by through morning announcements saying, Mr. Udick screwed himself up again. Somebody come bail him out. You know what I mean? And, and the kids so much appreciate that. I mean, they really do. They're always laughing with me. And again, I don't seem except in the hallway, but most every kid knows who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they know they can stop by. The kids will stop by to share a website. They'll stop by when they find something cool. You know, they're, I, they probably email me more now than they do their, their teachers. But I'm always putting stuff like that in the announcements. Like, hey, I need help with this again. So that's, that's what I do to, sh- to show that, you know, I'm still learning and I don't know at all. My most recent one was, hey, the proxy I've been using to get around the filter is blocked. Does somebody have a new one? Please stop by my office. So Now I've got 20 more to try, so I'm good.
1: Excellent. Yeah, Yeah. that's the way it goes. Now, Jeff, we want to take just a moment before we get into uh, maybe the blog post of the week, or I think Michael might share a a book or two, Um, the idea that we had a, a message after last week's podcast talking about how to make the shift where a listener was was asking really what does a shifted school look like and I think Brent uh, gave a a pretty good description of this one school Senshu international school but I'm just wondering if we want to take a moment for each of us just to give maybe one thought about what a. if if you were to start a shifted school what was what would one big thing be about that school to show that it's a shifted uh, school what do you think about that? Who do you want to go first? Why, uh, why don't you go first?
0: All right. So thinking about this because we did have somebody leave a leave a voice comment uh, on the blog. So if you go to uh, thethinkingstick.com slash on deck, down the right-hand side, you can actually leave us a voice comment like a, a voice recording. And so somebody asked it, what does a shifted school look like? So here's what I wrote, and I wrote this off the top of my head about a half hour before we start. This is – for me, right now, this is what a shifted school is. I said – A school that understands that learning is a 24-7 activity and engages students in their space to learn. A school that instead of focusing on students to come to them to learn, they go to, they go to where the students are and create learning opportunities where the students are engaged. They use tools that are familiar to the students that engage them in the learning process and allow them to not only connect nodes of information, but also allow them to, allow them and teach and teach them to be nodes as well. So. Mm. Mm. That's at this point in time. That's what that's what I'm going to stick with.
1: Mm. Yeah. Sounds good, Mike. You want to you want to share something there? I don't want to put you on the spot. Oh, wow,
2: that's okay. I, I think I would look for uh, a, a reprogram and redesign teacher. I think the current uh, structure that we have in the uh, universities uh, needs to shift. <laughs> And so, uh, and so, I would probably design some kind of uh, structure within the school that would uh, allow teachers to be more of an apprentice. After you, you know, you found your core folks that you feel like knows what a, knows what a uh, 21st century looks like and where that needs to go. And then, uh, because I think a lot of times, still today, at least in middle school and high school, it's it's all about um, here's the people go to the xerox machine and xerox a piece of paper and it's like here's the assignment here's the due date and i'll let you know what your grade is afterwards i know a lot of folks don't do that but i think if you peel the layers there's not much uh teaching that's really truly going on there's a lot of talking and a lot of lecture and it's still whole group it's not where it is really differentiated and people Give a lot of lip service to that word, and it's sort of like letting kids go in their own different direction. So, I mean, I would go back to having a school design
1: where you have a mentorship program. Well, that makes a lot makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm well, going to go with the idea of the learning community, which we talk so much about uh, on, in the blogosphere, and, and we were talking about a few minutes ago that we all come to this school and that we're. Learning together, and we're designing our learning experiences with the structure of the teachers um, having hopefully the good uh, experience uh, in schools that our, our colleges are, are doing better jobs at making us facilitators and not directors of instruction. And that we really, if we start with these, these big ideas, these concepts. And we come up with ways to, as Michael, you've been sharing, go out into the community, make the learning seem real, or not seem, make it real, make mm-hmm. it engaging, um, that our students really buy into it, and they say they really want to do it, uh, because a theme that keeps coming up in all of our shows is, at some point, the students are just going to get so frustrated with us, they're going to start bypassing us, and they're going to they're going to use the Web 2.0, all the different tools. And just say, you know what, the teacher wants me to do a report on Iraq and just wants me to, to copy a bunch of, not copy, but get a bunch of information on what's happening there and put it, put it into a paper. Hey, I want to find out what's really happening. I want to know the politics. I want to talk to people that have been there or have been there and, and they go out and they, they, they pursue their own, uh, questions and their own interests. So that's, that's a little capsule of what, uh, School 2.0 or a shifted school would look like for me. Mm, good.
0: Yeah. I just put in the chat room and said, what is your definition of shifted schools? Mm. And here are, some, here are some of the th- people in the chat room are saying, one person says, I would start uh, with the restructuring of the admin, which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: they Michael. will see us as
0: irrelevant. I don't <laughs> see that happening. We have created pa- uh, passive learners, and they are not rebelling. Mm, Isn't yeah. that so true?
2: It's true. So it's so true.
0: Trippy. We've created these passive learners, and they're rebelling because we're trying to make them active learners. That's what I found. Yes. Mm. Yes. That's what I found. Yeah. Yeah. I see learning disengaging. Um, a shifted yeah. school uses the word shift as a verb. It's constantly happening, not just happened.
2: Mm. 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 Yeah, it's sort of like the word reforming. We should be reforming, otherwise you know we th- you know, we use the word reformed we're a reform school. well, reform uh-huh. means we've stopped. reforming That's means we're still in process. Teachers never, seem to yeah.
0: rebel more than the students. Do you guys agree or disagree?
1: Uh, I'm not going to comment on that yeah. one. <laughs>
2: I, well, I think you got your different uh, groups out there. I think you, you have a number of folks like yourselves and other people that are in the chat room, and it's sort of the same kind of thing. Like church, you know, those people that go to church tend to be the you know, you know, folks that really don't need to go, <laughs> and it's sort of the same kind of thing with the cha- uh, with these blogs and things. Those folks that are converted and believe. Uh, are already with you. And those that are not, you know, they're not engaged with it. So I would say those that aren't engaged need to be engaged.
0: Hmm. I like Uh. that. That's good.
2: All right. Well, thank you guys for the evening. I certainly enjoyed it. And I wish you all the best on the thinking stick.